Welcome to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. We're here with a bit of a mini bonus episode for you this week. Our normal episode 150 will come out later this week. But here is episode 149A, in which we talk to the unlikely breakout star of the week in tennis, Gail Falkenberg, a 69-year-old woman who has been playing on the ITF pro circuit and other levels, as she'll tell you, and gained quite a lot of attention for winning a match at the qualifying rounds of the 25K in Pelham, Alabama, and then going on to play Taylor Townsend, a well-known former junior Grand Slam champion and top 100 player uh, in in her second match there. And though she lost 6-0-6-0, there has rarely been a moment on tennis Twitter where people were so enraptured by a live score. So here is Gail to describe her life in tennis in her own words, and I think you'll enjoy it. We had a bit of a malfunction with the recording software, so the call quality on this is a bit cell phone-ish for the interview. Our apologies. So a few days after the eyes of the tennis world were glued to Pelham, Alabama, uh, we are here joined by the reason for that, Gail Falkenberg. Gail, thank you very much for being on the show with us. My pleasure. So what? I guess let me just ask first, you referred to this, we were talking before about this being your 15 minutes of fame. What, what, yes. is this, what has this week been like for you? Well, I, it was it was normal when I won my match on Sunday. Um, nobody said anything, and I packed up, turned my score in, and went back to the hotel, and everything was fine that evening. And then when I came the next day to play uh, Taylor Townsend, uh, I got there early to warm up. Um, it was a media show. <laughs> um, we had the local uh, TV stations and. I had uh, the London Times on the phone waiting for an interview in the Wall Street Journal, and I almost uh, was late to my match. I had so many interviews, and um, they they said it was coming in from all over the world. So uh, I I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised and loved every minute of it. Had you gotten much attention for tennis before? I mean, obviously your age makes you unique among the ranks of, you know, pro tennis right now but had anybody taken notice before this weekend uh yes uh, yeah i'd say so um i won a national championship uh in 1983 and i think i was like 35 and that drew some uh, media attention in los angeles um and i was i was working there at that time and and so i I could see there was some interest um and then i got better and decided to to uh, go on the pro tour for about five years, mm-hmm. and um, I I was reached about 343 in the world, playing all around the world for for the five years. But I never I I did well. I I was getting to the quarters, semis of main draws, played in the Australian Open. Yeah, um, you won a qualifying match there, I believe. Yeah, I yeah. did. I did, and um, I got attention, but nothing nothing like what I am now. Um, and I guess because I was older, but um, not old enough to draw that much attention. It's not like I am now. Yeah. Well, it's good to draw attention for your age. And I think this has been positive ways for sure. I guess you mentioned, you know, playing in the 80s. Let's, I guess, go back and discuss your life story in tennis, which has been longer than most players still out there. 
So I, when did when did you start playing tennis and and when did you start taking you it know, seriously yeah, uh, enough to want to play? Back in those days, um, I guess it was the Billie Jean King days. Tennis, where I came from, I grew up in New Jersey, uh, and people didn't play tennis. So, uh, and women's sports were not considered to be uh, the in thing at right. that, during that time frame. Um, and I, I really wanted to go out to, to UCLA when I graduated from high school just because it had sports. Mm. And uh, besides my major, which was filmmaking, um, and I did go out there and I, I timed it so that I was on the first women's tennis team and basketball team. Mm-hmm. And we played for the love of the game. There were no scholarships at that time for women. Yeah, this is before Title IX, well before Title IX, I think. Correct, correct. So uh, I played for the four years and enjoyed every minute of it and then just got my bachelor's and master's and went on and had a career in audiovisual production in Los Angeles and in California uh, until I picked up a tennis racket just to uh, play sports again and got good and won a national championship and then decided to go on the on the circuit. I'm I'm so, curious because I I obviously don't get to talk to that many people who were playing tennis in the pre Title IX era and I guess maybe before even pro I'm not sure when the years trying to do the math would have been just as tennis was becoming a professional sport I guess in the late 60s. So right. what what was what was the culture of of women's sport like back then was it something like you said which not expected that women well uh, should I, be I doing think they, right i think they talked uh bill ackerman who they named the student union uh after kind of like tennis and i think they talked him into being the first tennis coach and uh so they could say they they had a woman's tennis program and uh he was great he he loved it i didn't get much coaching uh, because it was more of a social kind of thing. We had some good players on the team, mm. but it, women's sports just, uh, we, we had good courts to practice on. Actually, Arthur Ashe was there mm. at that time, and he was on the men's team. So that was a, that was a pleasure. Besides being there with um, Kareem in the basketball program, right. it, was, it was just a great time to be at UCLA. No, for sure. It's obviously a and, big sports powerhouse, oh, especially basketball loved, and John Wood yeah, and everything. At loved that time. it, loved yeah. it. Between, I remember this, you'd sit and watch Arthur Ashe play Charlie Passerell from USC, and then you'd go and you'd go over to Poly Pavilion and watch Kareem play and all those great players with Wooden. Uh, it was just a great time. But women's, like, even on the basketball team, we we didn't play in Poly Pavilion. We played in the, the old gym. Mm. Um, so, uh, but the tennis was okay. We got we got to play, and we, we did take trips first class, and um, they, the tennis was treated a little bit differently than the other sports at the time. So I can't complain about that. It was, it was fun. It was fun. But we like I said, we did not get scholarships then. Yeah. I guess that didn't come out till the seventies. But I loved every minute of it. So you go, you get your masters, you work in film, and what yep. what gets you wanting to what gets you thinking that, hey, going back and playing top level pro tennis Yeah. Having, I, I'm guessing having not played, you know, full time. For a while. Career. I know. I yeah. I had my own business in, in Studio City mm-hmm. and uh, I just took up tennis again just to have something to do athletically because there was such stress with the business. And, uh, gee, it just, I just loved it. And at that time, the way I played um, was different, and it gave the younger players trouble, and I kept having a lot of success with it. 
And uh, then I just realized that, boy, I sure like this. So um, I stopped my business and said, I'm going to take as much time off and travel the world. Who who gets time to do that? Yeah. And see the world and and meet people and um, do it as long as I can. And then I'll uh, go back to working again, which I did, only I stayed in tennis. When I stopped off the tour, I ended up coaching at University of Central Florida in Orlando, mm-hmm. and I did coach the men and the women for about eight years. What, when you in the went, 90s. yeah, when you went back to competition, even after this first career, what made you want to compete against, you know, the all age group top level pros and not find? And I guess this question not comes up now, tennis? yeah, but not something that was uh, more age group based against other people right. of a similar I, age. My, that's just a good question, and everyone asked me, and I, my game was suited uh, toward playing the younger generation. Uh, I, I'm, I have a lot of spin, which was common, um, and it gives the younger generation some trouble. Now, maybe not at Taylor's level, yeah. but uh, to a certain level, it gives them a lot of trouble, uh, side spin and back spin. And it just fit better. The actually the older generation uh, handled it better. Hmm. So I always did well, but uh, I would I would always be in the top with the top players. But um, it it was harder to win, believe it or not. And when I played with the with the kids, uh, I just I, I did real well with all of it, and uh, it just worked better. So I said I enjoy this. This will keep me young. So I'm going to keep doing it. So when you came back. I guess sort of this this iteration of your career now in your 60s, again, there was still no, was there any hesitation from you about walking onto a court with a, an opponent who could be, you know, 40 years younger than you in some cases, maybe more? Yes, and that didn't bother me. You know, what bothered me was um, I played, actually I played a uh, 75,000 in Arizona and, and I walked off the court and I said, whoa, boy, has the level of tennis changed mm-hmm. in 10 years even since uh i went i coached like the end of the 90s and then so it's probably about a 10-year period i was off and the level just skyrocketed for women and i talked with the usca officials and they said boy are you right it has really increased and it's primarily because the women are starting at age five and having uh, coaches so that by the time they get 15, they've had 10 years of, of uh, coaching already. Yeah. And um, they're, they're just incredible. They they now have, besides hitting the ball hard, they can now slice it, they can now drop shot it, they can lob it, um, they can spin serve. And they didn't have that uh, back um, when I was playing on the circuit. That, that's what I've heard from players even at the top of the game now. I was talking to Patty Schneider. I don't know if you know her, who who was uh, who's a uh-huh. player who just came back to playing on tour after a few years off and uh-huh. said that back when she was first getting into being a top 20 player in the in the 90s, even, you know, you play against a, an opponent ranked around 100 or 200 and it would be a gimme, it'd be a cakewalk. You know, there was just not the depth. Right. Now, That's right. And That's now right. every player in the top 400, she thinks, can go out there and give oh, you Oh, absolutely. The depth is incredible. Yeah. And I, I had played just a couple of years ago, I played um, Mari. Uh, no, excuse me, Naomi, Naomi Osaka, Osaka. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and uh, she just beat uh, Sarah Ronnie. Right. And she and I played her first round in in a challenger, um, and now what, a couple years later she walks off and beats uh, and she had beaten Stozer uh, a year ago. Right. So I 
Uh, my my feeling is that uh, any these satellite tournaments, probably men and women, are the players are all just as good as the ones at the top level. They just don't have the points to get in the tournaments to play them. Well, that has to be pretty cool for you, I think, because now you've played Taylor, who's obviously uh, a big name. He's been was a junior Grand Slam champion and has been up and down, obviously at a bit of a lower point in her ranking right now. But right. And, and Naomi Osaka, so you're playing players who are thought of as being potential. Future, I am. Future stars. I am. That's and, pretty cool uh, it's thing great. to experience. Yeah. It is because I go and I work on things, and I say, okay, I know this worked, this didn't work, uh, because I always have a couple of things that work, and then I I come back and and work on them, and by gosh, it you get better that way, and and of course, wherever you live, you're not going to play players like like those two uh, unless maybe you're on a college team or at an academy, uh, and I have to. Uh, where I live, you know, I have men to practice with and, and some women, but they're not at that level. So yeah. uh, that's another reason to play as many as you can because that's how you get better. The only way you can get better. How you went, We're doing this interview in the afternoon because you said you when we, met, when we went back and forth, you said you were practicing in the morning. Just curious how what your practice schedule is like now and what your sort of general routine for trying to uh, keep your tennis as get good better. as possible is right now. Yeah. My feeling is that um, – I, even when I was coaching the, the tennis teams, that uh, I wanted most of my practice time to be on the court. I'm probably out of the old school on that, and that would include conditioning. And the kids always like felt they wanted to go in the weight room, which is fine. But I used to tell them, if you're going to be on a team of mine, I do not want to hear that you got injured in the weight room. Mm. Uh, because uh, that just that can hurt the whole team and it's so easy to do uh, if you're not real careful. Um, so I'd rather have them turn an ankle on a court than I would uh, do something in the weight room. So I designed uh, drills for them to do on the court, which would help their foot quickness and, and um, skills and conditioning that would uh, would help that way. And so I I just stay on the court. I, I, I practice in the mornings and probably five or six times a week, uh, hard court and clay. And I, I that's about all I do simply because uh, my limitations are such with my age that I think I'd really burn myself out and possibly get more injuries if I worked out harder than that. Yeah. I wish I could. would love to. But I've got to be careful. I guess my question is: Before you won your first round match against uh, Small in in Alabama, and I'm curious. Before that, I think you had a 32 match losing streak, and uh, at this level. Yeah, and, at and, this level. And, now that's at right. this level. That's yeah. right. That's right. And I'm just, I'm just, um, and a lot of those matches were pretty lopsided against. They, you. Well, I, I can tell you that uh, there were most of them were on clay. I'm, okay. Uh, if you look at. Even I played a couple last year, one in Baton Rouge and one in Florence. I start with getting games. I think I lost two and three and uh, three and one. I was starting to get games on the hard court. Mm-hmm. So I, you could see an improvement uh, in my play. And I did beat in the U.S. Open sectional qualifying mm-hmm. in Florida. I did beat a girl on the circuit. Yeah. Um, I won 7-5 in the third set against Spirit Edley, and she plays on the circuit. And that gave me the national ranking right. to get in the tournament. So I was having success. It looks bad, but uh, I really was starting to have a lot of success. And I was winning uh, 
state tournaments. Um, in Orlando, I was winning. I was beating top juniors in tournaments and winning the tournaments. So I was having successes last year. So it doesn't surprise me that my first tournament, um, pro tournament this year, I did have some success. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. I guess also I looking at just looking at just the ITF level of stuff, which I was looking at for your activity. This win looks like it almost comes out of nowhere. Um, because you've had a yeah, few, you had a few lopsided, quite a few lopsided defeats, and then this was a pretty lopsided victory for you. So I'm curious. It was. If, it was a good one. Yeah. So I'm curious well, if you were surprised by that. By, by I'm winning not. This you know, I my feeling. There are always. You know, you kind of know who's out there, and there were always people I thought I could beat, mm-hmm. and um, I just had to get you know in good shape and and feel good and and get a good right draw. draw. Yeah. Like, so I, I, the draw is just everything. Um, because there are some players I know that get, you know, easier players the first round, and then some just draw the hardest. And uh, I've played, like I said, I've played some tough first-round matches uh, that um, I never felt really – I'd have to be at my top of my game to even get a few games. But um, I, I know the better you get, then the more players that you can beat. So this is a start. But I have – this last year I played really well. Uh, not not necessarily on clay, but on hard court, right? Uh, which is my favorite because I really started out in California. So you, you mentioned you mentioned showing progress and, and my winning. Favorite, sir. Yeah, you you mentioned showing progress and winning games. I'm just curious if you go into matches at, against these younger top players with measured expectations. You know, where you're not necessarily where where right. you'd be if satisfied, I go in with, you'd be Taylor, satisfied with uh, right. getting a game or two. Or I guess at Taylor, you got yes, you got I would, so would got have really liked it, and I did have a game point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had a game point, so yeah. I was happy about that. Okay. I just had one, but I could have. And I, that's my goal. You're correct. Um, when you play those really top players, you wanna you wanna get a couple games anyway, uh, and or at least a few points a game, um, so that you can, you know, that at least you're you should be on the court with them um, uh, and and have potential down in the future. Because if you don't feel that way, you shouldn't even be out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious with with your results and with the, obviously how you're sort of an outlier on the age spectrum and some of the results um, not going your way for a while. I'm curious if you ever got any resistance from organizers or anybody you know discouraging you from trying to continue competing at this level. No, no, I have not. Uh, at all, the USTA has been uh, very good to me and mm-hmm. fair, and uh, uh, I've been very pleased with the way the tournaments are run. And I've even gotten some wild cards in, mm. uh, which is great. Um, so they've been great. I, I think there's always going to be an attitude uh, when people do something different. So um, people, there's always people out there that are going to think uh, that's kind of crazy and. Uh, you know, you should leave the tennis to the younger people. But um, I, I think everyone's been very nice to me. In fact, most people now come up to me and say they love to watch me play because I play differently. I drop shot a lot, mm-hmm. I bob, I spin, um, and change the pace. Um, and it's fun to watch. It's not just power tennis. So. Uh, I get more of that now than I ever did, which is always fun because, you know, it, it's always nice when people want to watch you play. No, for sure. How closely do you follow the uh, the pro game right now, and who are some of your favorite players to watch play, either, I guess, current or past ones that you especially yeah, like? Yeah, I, I, on the women's side, I, I 
have been asked this, and I like uh, Roberta Vinci mm. from Italy because she has a great slice backhand. Yeah. And she's so consistent with it. Uh, Rodwanska varies her game, which is great. And I, I like Kerber because she's a, uh, a fighter out there and very consistent. On, on the American side, I like, I like Keys. She's not consistent yet, but no. she's a fighter. Mm-hmm. And I love to see people fight on the court. I think, gee, she just gets out there and you can just see that emotions. Uh, and uh, she's fun to watch. Uh, obviously, Venus and Serena are uh, terrific. Um, but as far as the younger players, I like to see that fight in them. I, I don't like to see them get burned out. And, and I think that happens when you when you don't achieve what you think you should and you get injuries and uh so it's it's fun to watch somebody who really wants to run and chase after every ball and is just excited to play. Well, I would I would think that you could serve as sort of a you mentioned getting you know discouraged or, or burnt out. I would think that you would hopefully serve as a pretty positive example to the players who you're competing with at these you know 10k 25k levels and then the qualifying draws because those can be some pretty some pretty tough places to be in your career and they can be places where if you start losing matches, it can be discouraging and you might think yeah, tennis isn't for right. you. But I, I would have to think that seeing you persistently still out there at age 69 would have to yeah. hopefully would be, could serve as an inspiration for a lot of the yeah. other younger players. Out it there. is. And in fact, you bring that up. There's one player uh, that uh, watches my matches. In fact, she was, she watched me play Taylor and she was waiting for me to come off the match. Uh, Lauren Cooper, mm-hmm. who's, uh, she told me she was 14 and, uh, she's just as fast as she can be, and she's just starting. And she wants to play doubles with me and so she can learn. And that's just a thrill. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that uh, that happens more often than not. Uh, the parents are usually the ones that come up to me and uh, uh, want their kids to hit with me and just to, to, to experience a different uh, style of play and learn, you know, what can happen when people get older and, uh, just a good learning experience. So it's it's been great, yeah. and it keeps me young. What can I say? You know, it's fun to be around the younger generation. That was gonna be my next question. What is it? What is it like socially being? Uh, you know, sharing locker rooms, sharing tournaments with these players. <laughs> you can be a couple couple generations younger than you. You, mean, you mentioned. I, you know, 14. they don't they don't yeah. talk too much. They're no? they're uh, they just kind of look, and some of them look like, "What are you doing here?" And yeah. some of them just uh, think it's great. Um, uh, Carrie Wong, who's a top U.S. player, told me uh, one time that they all call me the legend. Did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and I I almost fell over. I said, the legend? Yeah, that's for Billie Jean King and Chris Everett and the, uh, the, those people. And I said, no, just because you're out here and you're playing all the time, and they just think it's great. So I said, okay. That made me feel good. Yeah, well, I think it's pretty great too, and I wish you the best of luck going forward. I guess, what, I guess, do you have any remaining major goals that you want to accomplish in, in the rest of your oh, career? Well, and, always. And, and, and I guess, yeah. how, and to add on to that, how much longer do you think you're going to want to keep playing at this level? I'm going to play as long as my bod hangs out, um, mm-hmm. hangs in there. So, um, as long as I feel good and my knees are okay, um, I'll play. And my my goal is I next time I I I want to win two matches instead of just one, and I want to improve my game, add things to it, and I want to I want to win a match when I'm in my 70s. There you go. So that's only six months away. Sounds like a pretty doable goal. I mean, pretty. I mean, you're getting you got one at 69, so it can't be too much. Hopefully, it won't be too much harder at 70. 
Yep, you got it. Well, thank you very much, Gail. This was awesome. Thanks for being here. We always let guests pick like a an outro song. So is there, is there any favorite song you have or music that you think symbolizes your your, your journey in tennis? How about Rocky? Sure, okay. That'll work. Thank you very much, okay. Gail. All right. Thank you, Ben. So thank you very much, Gail. And thank you all for listening to this episode of No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along with us when you're not listening, you can do so by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or any other podcast app of your choosing and leave us reviews there. It really helps us out. You can also follow us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. Send us questions for upcoming episodes or about anything else. Uh, no challenges remaining at gmail.com is the address there. The executive producers of No Challenges Remaining are Pancho Resendez of tennisballs.com and Tal Woolley. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you again later this week with an episode live from Charleston. Bye bye. Thank you.